Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Very irreverent voiceovers of a Jesus film, and I want to remind you again to take it with a grain of salt. It's not meant to be disrespectful, but to poke fun at how different these videos are from the way that Jesus actually is. So if you would watch... I am walking in the dirt. Hey, Peter, Peter. I am walking in the dirt and the rocks and the... Huh? There's Jesus. Huh? Jesus isn't a rock. Hey, Andrew. Ah, man. Andrew is my friend. Andrew. This way. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Hey, Jesus. Hello, my son. Have a seat. Hey, Jesus. I was just sitting here with my stick, enjoying the sun shine. Jesus, I thought we were playing hide-and-seek and you weren't hiding. No, Peter, I wasn't playing hide-and-seek. I only told you that. So you would leave me alone. You see, I'm Jesus. I'm an important guy. I have important things, heavenly things to think about. You're always bothering me with your problems. And this guy's talking about what he wants for Christmas and... But Jesus, I thought you are our friend. I am your friend. I just don't have time for you. Oh, man. I promise the videos will cease after next week. You know, I love those videos because they poke fun at the way many people might think of Christians, but not necessarily of Jesus. I don't think Jesus would have ever allowed a scene like that to play out. Because if there is one thing true that could be said of Jesus, it is what God had already said about himself, that God is love. You know, a lot of times we'll tell somebody they're our friend, But each time they impose on our lives, we consider it a great inconvenience being put out. And the truth is, real love and real friendship cannot be separated. They're the same thing. The heart of Christ is a heart of love. And I like that video because it points out this attitude in me I see sometimes that is so different from the attitude of Jesus Christ. We've been exploring Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. We started last week with a message called Represent. We're talking about the fact that wherever we go as followers of Jesus Christ, we live as representatives of Jesus. In other words, people will not meet Jesus in the flesh, face to face, but through us, they have a human encounter with somebody who embodies the character and principles that drove Jesus in his life, that that described who he was. So that wherever we go, we have a chance to reflect Christ as a representative to the people in the world around us. And so last week we talked about some garments that we are called to wear, garments of Christ's likeness. A wardrobe which when you put it on in the power of God, makes you appear to others in a way that reminds them of what Jesus must have been like. I think the greatest compliment a Christian can can hear from anyone is if I knew Jesus personally, I bet he'd be a lot like you. You remind me of what God must be like. 
because of the way that you are, through your compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These things describe God as I envision him, and you are just like that to me. Well, this morning we're going to key in on verse 14, and I want to have you look at that verse with me. And it's out of the NLT, Colossians 3, verse 14. Here's what it says. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. What I want to talk about this morning is that of all the garments you and I will wear as representatives of Jesus Christ, the most important and, in fact, the single most indispensable garment we will wear is the garment of love. We can do a lot of things that are considered good by every other human being on the planet, but if we do not do it with love, we have not actually represented Jesus Christ. Because to have met Jesus is to have received love. You know, I meet a lot of people who strike me as particularly loveless in the way they interact with me and others, and there are times in my life when I know I struck others that way. We cannot justify or reconcile a loveless character with a followership of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to be marked by the garment of love above all other garments we will put on. It wouldn't matter that we're compassionate and humble and gentle and patient if over all those things we have not loved other people whenever we've been given the opportunity. And if I were to ask you, what is the single most precious and scarce commodity on this planet, how would you answer that question? As you're mulling over your answer to that question, let me give you a few statistics about commodities that are scarce in our world. Half the world, around 3 billion people, think about this, live on less than $2 a day. Around 30,000 children die every single day from poverty-related issues. Around 3 million people die every year from AIDS, and 1 million from something as simple as malaria. Do you know 1.1 billion people all over the world lack access to adequate clean water for drinking and washing? 1.8 million people die every year, listen to this, from diarrhea. Next time you have the runs, you think about the fact that 1.8 million children die every year just from being dehydrated through diarrhea. And 2.2 million die every year just because they never got their childhood immunizations. Those are some pretty bleak statistics. The numbers are at a scale that most minds can't wrap around, and they're overwhelming in the suffering they represent. Yet for all that suffering and scarcity, the most precious and needed commodity on earth is not money or water or shelter or food or medicine. It is love. I'm convinced the longer I pastor and the longer I parent that the greatest need on this planet and the most scarce commodity that the human heart craves is love. You know, in the year that I was born, 1967, just before the summer of love, the Beatles released a song that says, all you need is love. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say the summer of love? It was a gathering of about 100,000 hippies. They called themselves flower children. They met in the hate district of 
That's A-H-A-I-G-T. I think it's hate or height. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but it's in San Francisco. And they basically formed a makeshift commune and all just planted tents and they hung out and there was free love, free medicine, free food, free everything. They were so driven by this utopian vision of a nation flooded with love that they tried to create heaven on earth. After a short while, it fizzled out and they had a, a strange ceremony called a funeral for the, the hippie movement and then it was over. But that movement, it created a catalytic event in the 60s that defined that decade. The people involved in the summer of love were so captivated by the ideals that even when they came to their senses and went back to their day jobs, they carried those convictions with them and they tried to create an America filled with human love. Now, as, as wonderful as that sounds, I think they were misguided at the foundation because humans don't have enough love to fill even a container as small as the United States of America, much less the earth. But what I really appreciate about the summer of love and about songs as naive as all you need is love is that they were so convinced that love was the most important commodity that they set out to fill the world as they knew it with as much love as they possibly could. If you watch the film I Am Legend, or if you were a Bob Marley fan before that, you heard Will, Will Smith talk about Bob Marley's incredible vision that love could actually heal the ills of society. I think that's a powerful notion. Bob Marley was more like Christ than you could possibly imagine in thinking that way. While the hippie movement died out, the truth of the matter is that we who follow Christ have the exact same commission. There is really only one hope for the world. It is love. That's what the gospel message is ultimately about. It's not about justice and grace and all. It's ultimately about love that translates into all those things for us. Without love, there is no gospel. You know, think about Mother Teresa. She spent her whole life dealing with the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And she became something of a spokesman, an international ambassador for the poor wherever she went. And everybody you ever meet, it doesn't matter what part of the world they're in, there's a 95% likelihood that when you say Mother Teresa, there is immediate recognition. She's so recognizable that her silhouette, if it appears by accident on the side of an English muffin, will go for $18,000 on eBay. That's what a figure she's become because she embodied something we all value, but most don't have the courage to actually live out. And that is a complete and in-depth relationship and identification with the poor who had nothing. Yet Mother Teresa, for having been up so close and personal with the suffering of the world and with poverty, said this. And it was a quote that was recorded by somebody in a book called One Heart Full of Love. Listen to what she said. As far as I am concerned, the greatest suffering is to feel alone, unwanted, Unloved. The greatest suffering is also having no one. Forgetting what an intimate, truly human relationship is. Not knowing what it means to be loved. Not having a family or friends. That's really saying something coming from somebody like Mother Teresa. I think she understood the words that came in Scripture the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. 
Now you might think that she's only making an observation about the poorest of the poor in India, but Mother Teresa traveled more broadly around the world than most of us ever will. She visited with dignitaries and heads of state from all the developing nations because they were curious what made her tick and how they could get involved. And having seen the West and having returned back to the comfortable and familiar surroundings of poverty in Calcutta, here's what she had to say about the West. By the way, if you don't understand that terminology of the West, that's us, all the people in the rich countries of the world. The greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There is a hunger for love, and there is a hunger for God. Would you agree with Mother Teresa's statements about the world we live in? You know, the truth is, none of us probably have ever understood experientially what it's like to worry about your next meal. I went through a period of what I would call an American version of poverty. When I was a seminary student, I made $300 a month. I tried to make ends meet. You've heard those stories. That's as close as I've come to actually worrying about my next meal. And my waistline shows without any doubt at all that that problem is long past. I've eaten well all my life. Starving to death is not a worry for me. It isn't. And probably the same goes for many of you. And the truth is, you know, you deserve to eat. You've worked very hard. You go every single day. You punch the clock. You work hard to make an honest living. And why shouldn't we feed our families? I'm not criticizing that at all. But the truth is, we don't really understand that. But the poverty we live with, so many of us, including some of the people closest to us, is that they are dying inside because they still don't know what it's like to be loved. You know, when I was in seminary, I had to do a one-month internship in my area of specialization, which happened to be missions and evangelism. So I went to Tijuana, Mexico, and lived there for a month doing all kinds of work in support of missions. I remember one time a medical team came through our base. It was a, a youth with a mission YWAM base in Tijuana, right off the beach there. And I remember that a medical team came in, and they wanted to do a mobile clinic in a very depressed area called Valle Verde. It means... Green Valley, I believe, which is the name of the, the driving range right by my house. And there I was in this huge shanty town. You have never seen anything like it. It's like an entire city made of cardboard refrigerator boxes. And there are people in the thousands living huddled together in this place, just a stone's throw from the wealth of the United States of America. I, I, it was hard for me to walk through that place. I could hear the sounds of suffering. You know, when you walk through your neighborhood, do you just at random hear sounds like, oh, that's not something you hear just walking around the street. I was hearing those sounds everywhere. It was so disturbing. And so we set up this mobile clinic. I have no medical knowledge whatsoever. The closest I came was I was a doctor's kid. So I guess I qualified to at least pray for the people after they receive care. And so we announced a free medical clinic. I walked through the streets just announcing 
Free medicine, free medicine. And people started coming out of their boxes and lining up. And the team, it was maybe like six of us, looked at this crowd and we were overwhelmed. And I don't know if you know what I mean when I say overwhelmed. There must have been like 1,200 people lined up for a mobile clinic. And we've been to Africa, the valley, there were a couple hundred maybe, but 1,200, you just want to run home. We give up, we can't do this. So we rolled up our sleeves, we prayed, we dove in, and for the first few hours, there was a freshness and energy to what we were doing. We were engaging the people, talking to them, it was great. But by about the fourth hour, we looked and the crowds hadn't shrunk at all. We thought we'd seen tons of people, we looked up, it's exactly the same. And we're like, the sun's going to go down. What, what gives? There's no way we're going to... And so we entered a different mode. And by we, I mean mostly the doctors. And then I was just praying like all these people did. Oh, okay, the same thing, Lord. And you know what happened? It was, was rack'em and stack'em ministry. Suddenly these human beings became nameless cattle. We were just running through there. They became medical cases, sets of complaints, no longer human beings, because we just didn't have the time or energy to look at each person as an individual. We all knew it, but it was, and it was draining, but what else can you do? We've come here to give medicine. Some of these people may die. I watched a girl that day die, a six or seven year old girl, because of diarrhea and dehydration. She died while I was right there staring at her laying on a slab in her box, and so we're going to give medicine, even if it's impersonal, because we couldn't handle the burden of that suffering. But something was shriveling in us, even as we worked, because we understood that all we're doing is touching their bodies, but we are not giving them the love that more than anything else on earth, these suffering people needed and craved. And it wasn't love like we'd sit and watch the sunset and whisper sweet nothings to them. They needed love that said, I'm a human being. I have value. I'm here. I'm seen and noticed. And I matter. And if I die, it should make a difference to someone. I shouldn't be some zebra out in the tundra who keels over from thirst and no one even notices. I should matter. And do you know how many millions in the world even in developed countries like this, feel like even if they keeled over today, it wouldn't matter and nobody would notice. And it got me to thinking, when we do ministry, what is the single most important thing we give away? What is that indispensable ingredient? See, over the last 13 years as a church, we have been so privileged to do so much good. When I think about the long history of what we've been able to do for God's kingdom at Harvest, I am so pleased with what we've been able to accomplish for the Lord. And I think in the 13 years ahead, under Pastor Matt's leadership, which is not to say you're only going to be here for 13 years, but you know, as we march forward with a greater conscious desire to be the blessing to our world and our community, I think we're going to get a chance to do so much more. If you've ever been with us to feed my starving children and just packed those bags and prayed over them and thought about all the hungry bellies, which you'll find hope as they zip open that bag and cook a meal. It's a great joy. But let me tell you something. In all the food we give away, all the advice we dispense, all the financial troubles we rescue people from, I'm starting to really understand more and more, if we have not given love, we've actually done very little. 
Because contrary to what our eyes tell us, what the world needs most is not money and medicine and food. What the world needs most is to know that human life matters, to know that there's someone who loves them. That is the cry of the human heart, even in the midst of the greatest physical suffering you can imagine. Love is what people crave. If we've done all kinds of good works and haven't loved people, I would go as far as to say, we have not done ministry that represents Jesus Christ. We have, in fact, done what any person with a shred of decency would do. It is love that is God's distinctive signature calling card. A lot of people do good stuff. It is this pure, clean, dignity-conferring love, which is the mark of the work of Jesus Christ. You know, the other day, Pastor Matt had taken my car home after dropping me off somewhere, and he left it on a, a station I don't usually don't listen to. It's 92.5. A secular station, of course. You know, I don't listen to anything but Christian music, but uh, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I actually really was grooving to that station. I turned it on like, oh, this is good stuff. And a song came up that I normally wouldn't listen to. I would change the station. It was that Phil Collins song, Another Day in Paradise. Bing, bing, boom, 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 boom. You know that song. It's like, it's like a song that as soon as I hear it, I go, eh, I'm not in the mood, and I flip the station. But for some reason, I gave it a chance because I'd never actually listened to the lyrics before. And I started listening, and it overwhelmed me because the song is so filled with emotion. Usually, Phil Collins is known for a kind of you know, cheesy ballads and that kind of thing. But this is a song he wrote to raise awareness about the plight of homelessness all over the world and especially in developing countries. Um, Listen to the first few lines of the song. It really made an impact on me. She calls out to the man on the street, Sir, can you help me? It's cold and I've nowhere to sleep. Is there somewhere you can tell me? He walks on, doesn't look back. He pretends he can't hear her. He starts to whistle as he crosses the street. He seems embarrassed to be there. Has that ever been you or me? I know it's been me. It's awkward. Walking past someone with no legs on a a board with wheels, crying out to you and you're busy going somewhere and you just want to pretend I don't see you and you just walk and you whistle and you just pretend. And the, the chorus of the song is, think twice. Because for you and me, it's just another day in paradise. Now, when I think about this girl crying out to the man on the street, something about the way Phil Collins sang, I don't know if this is what he intended. I almost feel like it is. I don't think she just really wanted shelter or a meal. I think she wanted to know she was there. I think she just wanted someone to notice her and love her. And that's precisely what the man would not give. I've walked past people and flipped a quarter into a pan. And I've done it like I was Robin Hood, like a drive-by giving, and that's it. Pow. And I realized when we do that, when we do good works that are devoid of the love of Jesus Christ, we've actually done very little to fill the world with the representation of Jesus Christ. There are so many people in the world who are starving for love. And there's only one group of people on earth actually equipped to give it in a way that
that brings people back from the dead. And that is those who follow Jesus Christ. You know, in 1965, into the 60s music kick, and Jackie DeShannon released a song written by Burt Bacharach and was called What the World Needs Now. Do you guys know the song? I was tempted to sing it, but I won't hurt you. What the world needs now. Luther sang it really well. Oh, man, Luther's version is... Hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Asian people, when I say Luther, Randross, all right. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Task-oriented people. Look at me for a second. If you're task-oriented, you need to hear this more than anyone because you can rack them and stack them and feed the multitudes. When you hear the feeding of the 5,000, you're thinking about, ooh, I wish I was in the kitchen crew. I wish I was the, the guys picking up the leftovers and baskets. I love doing stuff. And if that's you, you need to hear me. To do stuff in Jesus' name is not just to do stuff. It is to do it knowing that the love we give away is actually the most precious commodity we exchange in ministry. I was telling the folks at prayer meeting this morning, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say prayer meeting on Sunday mornings, show up at 9.15 in the Harvest Lounge. You can be with us. I was telling them that we too often equate the word saved and Christian as if they mean the same thing. We say, are you a Christian? What we're really asking is, do you trust Jesus as your Savior? I think it's important that we reclaim the word Christian because in Antioch, we're told in Acts 14 that the people who already were saved and believed in Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. That tells me that you can be a born-again person and not really be a Christian. What is this crazy quack saying? Here's what I'm saying to you. The word Christian is not about whether you're going to heaven or hell, but about whether you so are clothed with the beauty and character of Christ that onlookers who are irreligious say of you, we can't think of a better label for you than that you are of Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. Christian doesn't mean saved. It means we follow Jesus in every possible way because we are born again. And I hope we can reclaim that word to say it is those of us who will, by the grace of God, commit ourselves to wearing the garment of Christ's likeness. We are the ones who will fill the earth with the representation of Jesus Christ. The saved will go to heaven, but Christians will take other people with them. Amen? Listen to what Paul wrote in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I'll close my message with these words. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. When we do ministry as a church, our minds must not be focused on the task, but whatsoever we do, 
It is the opportunity to love another human being, which is front and center on the heart of Christ. That is what makes ministry, ministry. And as we focus our hearts in the next weeks on reaching out, I pray that this will capture our hearts. That if we have done much good and have not loved, we have not done ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bow our heads and think about the things we are doing every single day in the name of doing good. You know, if you're a seeds teacher... Don't get frazzled that the kids are spilling the glue and some have not memorized their verses. And you know, When we're doing anything, think about who you've been called to love at that moment because that is where the ministry re- resides. If you're a mom or your dad and you're worried about whether your kids will go to a good school and get married to a decent person and have a good life, that's important. You feed them, you clothe them, you shelter them. But never forget that the most important task of parenting is to love your children with the love of Jesus Christ. That matters even more than instilling character. Love is the most precious commodity, and there's a world around us starving for it. And so we need to remember that whatever we do in Jesus' name, love is the seal that leaves people thinking, Jesus has been here and has touched my life. And without love... We are nothing, we gain nothing. Let's pray that whatever harvest does, whatever you and I do to touch our world, will always have the mark of the love of Jesus Christ. That it will be the most important thing we ever give away as a church. Let's pray that right now. Teachers, do you know that every lesson you teach your students will probably be forgotten along the way. But what they'll remember for the rest of their lives is the teacher who looked at them and saw a human being, a person of value, and loved them, poured into their life. Doctors, you will see thousands of patients in the course of your career, and every last one of them will die no matter what you've done for them. But what they'll remember is a doctor who did not see a utilizer of the healthcare system or a set of symptoms, but a human being living in a shell of a body that will one day perish. But this doctor saw through that shell to the soul of a person. That made a difference. Whatever you do, Love is the most important thing that you and I will ever give away before we die. Lord, how I need to be reminded of that in my own ministry. May I challenge you lovingly to remember it in yours. Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here. For the dozens of opportunities we are given every day to love the people around us in the name of Jesus Christ. Help us not to miss a single one of those. Lord, we get so busy sometimes. We just rack them and stack them. And the people in our lives become background scenery. Forbid that that should be so. Give us the heart of Christ, Lord, so that each day, whoever we're with, 
We are loving them in Jesus' name. We pray as we do it, that like good seasoning, we will truly become the salt of the earth. Help us to feel a sense of urgency about this because the world is dying for love and we can do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.